did start a new members class this, this past week, and so February's already begun. But if you're looking for a church home, if you're looking to a, a way to serve and to be part of the family, we'd love to have you. We'll have another class in March. It's on Wednesday nights. You can find that information on Church Center, or you can talk to somebody there at the Welcome Center. Uh, but we, uh, we definitely want to get people plugged in. Uh, the, I also want to say this to this service. I appreciate you guys being here. I know that we have a meal after the next service. And so some of you, many of you probably live around this area. So you could, you, you're more than welcome to stay here, drink coffee. You can stay in the second service if you want to stay again. Um, or you can go home, change, whatever you want to do, come right back. Uh, but I want to encourage you, please come back for lunch. Uh, because our deacons have, have served and have labored and they're going to be serving us a, an amazing anniversary meal. And so I, I really want to ask you to come back and be a part of that with us. And it's going to be an awesome time of fellowship as we do that. But let's jump into this. You can turn your Bibles over to 1 Thessalonians. We're going to pick back up in, in our study on the end. Um, we, we began last week's sermon, and I'm just going to uh, go over those two points that we covered last week. We had three. This morning's first point is going to be last week's third point. Um, but the first point last week was affliction in the flesh is to be expected for all believers. Now, I do want to uh, kind of qualify that statement to say that not every believer will be afflicted for their faith, right? Uh, we know that uh, we live in an extraordinary country, and it's not, especially our day and time, it's not normal it's not the usual thing for us to be persecuted or afflicted for our faith uh, but we saw that there's a great number and we didn't cover all the scripture but the great number of new testament passages are in an encouragement or a charge for the church for the believers to be prepared and how to endure that persecution when it comes and again if you were here you remember we talked about how not only was this church under persecution for their faith not only were they suffering under the hand of people who wanted them extinguished because they trusted in Jesus, but they also dealt with the normal problems of everyday life, right? They had relational struggles, they had health struggles, they had, you know, issues with the government, they had house problems and, and, and family problems, they had all kinds of stuff that you and I deal with, and maybe even on a greater level in some, in some areas. Uh, maybe not on uh, as great of a level as we do, right? Because they didn't have technology. We have technology. It wasn't necessarily the, the life they lived was, was go, 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 busy, 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 schedule, schedule, schedule. So there may have been some things that they didn't have as difficult as, as we have that we put on ourselves. Regardless, we're told in Scripture that if we're living godly, that we can expect to be persecuted. The second point was this, affirmation of the faith is a great encouragement to others. In other words, our faith, when it's lived out in sincerity, when we boldly live out our faith and we're just trying to follow Christ and we're dedicated to doing that, it encourages other people. And that's something so, so important for us to remember. But I, I want to take a, a quick, maybe not necessarily a, a complete left turn in this study right now, uh, but just real quick in this part. I, I've mentioned the Fox's Book of Martyrs several times before. Some of you have read it. Some of you have not. Some of you are familiar with it. Some of you are not. Um, and I'm not saying it is like the perfect, perfect um, reference or resource for the persecution of the church. I would say it's a quality one. It's a good one. There's a lot of good information in there and some historical accounts, I believe, that are accurate. But there's a story that, that I, I was kind of going through uh, some of those stories again. And there's one that kind of stuck out 
Um, I believe that kind of reiterates those two points that we just talked about, that we talked about last week. Um, and, and here, again, affliction in the faith is to be expected, and affirmation of the faith encourages others. Here's the story. In the year of Christ, 286, a most remarkable affair occurred. A legion of soldiers consisting of 6,666 men contained none but Christians. So the whole group were followers of Christ. This legion was called the Theban Legion because the men had been raised in Thebius. They were quartered in the east till Emperor Maximian ordered them to march to Gaul to assist him against the rebels of Burgundy. They passed the Alps into Gaul under the command of Mauritius, uh, Candidus, and Exupermus. That's a weird name. Uh, but their worthy commanders, uh, and, and they were leading them, and, they, and, and at length joined the emperor. Maximian, about this time, ordered a general sacrifice at which the whole army was to assist in this sacrifice. And likewise, he commanded that they should take an oath of allegiance and swear at the same time to assist in the expiration of Christianity in Gaul. Alarmed at these orders, each individual of the Theban legion absolutely refused either sacrifice or to take the oaths prescribed. So all 6,666 men in this group said, we ain't having it. We're not doing it. We're not going to sacrifice, and we're not going to take that oath. This so greatly enraged Maximian that he ordered the legion to be decimated. That is, here's his, here, here was his plan. Every tenth man was to be selected from the rest and put to the sword. This bloody order, having been uh, put in execution, those who remained alive were still inflexible. When a second decimation took place, and every tenth man of those who were alive out of the first one were put to death, the second severity made no, listen to this, made no more impression than the first had done. If you understand, again, he was saying, we're going to sacrifice, and then you're going to take an oath to extinguish, and, and this is what you will do. The whole group said, we're not going to be a part of it. Not at all. Hey, many of you understand military. And this was absolutely against the orders of the emperor. By, 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 by law, he could have had them all executed. But he was like, you know what, I need your help. So what I'm going to do is I'm going I'm to force you into it. I'm going to uh, submit you into it. So every tenth guy was killed. The next wave came along another time. Every tenth guy was killed. And it didn't make them break at all. The, the soldiers preserved in their fortitude and their principles. But by the advice of their officers, who were good guys that were leading them, they drew up a loyal remonstrance to the emperor. This is, I'm sorry, this, it might have been presumed, would have softened the emperor, but it had a contrary effect. For enraged at their perseverance in unity, he commanded that the whole legion should be put to death, which was accord accordingly executed by the other troops who cut them in pieces with their swords on September 22nd of 286. 
Again, we, we, we are so disconnected from that type of life. You know, you're, you're going to do this or you're going to die. You, you're going to give up your faith or you're going to die. And, and these people not only did not give up their faith whenever they were being killed right in front of one another, it strengthened them. It encouraged them until they all were put to the sword. And I, I believe that when you and I, again, we don't face that, but when we live boldly and faithfully and in unity, it ignites and it emboldens the body of Christ. And that, again, that's where I think there's been great breakdowns in the church today. People are often more interested in doing their own thing, maybe even serving their own way. And I asked the question last week, what if, what if believers stop being faithful and living by faith? I said that leaders can get discouraged that way. And then what happens if leaders get discouraged? Well, then leaders are tempted to stop leading and stop preaching and keeping the church focused on Christ. And what happens if leaders stop doing what they're supposed to be doing? Then there becomes a void inside of the church. And if there's a void inside of the church, the body of Christ, the, 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 the vessel that Jesus himself set up, what happens when that happens? Then the enemy has an even greater door to walk through, an even more, more of an open door. What happens when the enemy has a greater opportunity inside the church? Then many people stop pressing toward the mark. They stop living on mission. Instead, start living again for self and sometimes even for sin. What happens if the people who profess Jesus Christ as Lord, who are supposed to be the power of God, who are supposed to be the, the, the vessels of the, the, the gospel, what if they stop doing that? What happens? And I shared last week that the lost stop getting reached. We know there's blessings on this earth that we experience that are temporal in nature. And I praise God that he's given us blessings on this earth, but the blessings on this earth compare nothing to the blessings that are waiting for us in eternity. And so living on this earth as a Christian is not about experiencing the blessings. Living on this earth as a Christian is, is, is the joy and the privilege it is to be an ambassador of the kingdom of God, to go and reach the lost and point them to Christ. That's, that's why we're left here. Yes, along the way we have blessings. Yes, we have things that God has given us. But it's beneficial to the church overall. Again, when we are encouraging one another and when leaders are encouraged. Paul and his team weren't the only ones who were encouraged by the love and the faith, the faithfulness of the Thessalonian believers. Again, if in chapter 1 you remember, he said the whole region had been positively affected by their faith and love. Now there, of course, is a real possibility if you are doing faith, you're living life, you're serving the Lord because of self and not out of sincere love, that you're not going to be encouraged. You say, well, you're saying that if I, if I, if I live my life sincerely by faith and I, and I endeavor to come and be an encouragement to others when we gather or when we have fellowships or when we have group, if that's what I do and, 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 and you're saying that I am going to get encouraged when I look to encourage other people, what if I've done that and I haven't been encouraged? I, again, I think that there's a real possibility that maybe it's not being done out of sincere love. Again, there's a potential negative effect in all this. You get discouraged if you're doing it for yourself or doing it not out of sincere love. Again, that's why it's so important to seek to please Christ. This, this sincere, motivated approach is vital for all aspects of our labor with him. There's a real potential 
of getting burned, right? If you, if you as a Christian are coming to church, and again, the Apostle Paul, they, th- th- you see some vulnerability in his writing to them, and there's, there's a potential that you and I, if we come to church and gather together, fellowship, serve together, whatever, a, a group, there is a potential that if we put ourselves out there to encourage somebody else, that we get burned. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I would think that there are probably a lot of people in here who have been a Christian for a while who have experienced something like that. You tried to be the encourager, and you ended up the one getting discouraged and burned. Especially when you're trying to pour into others. Which again, we've got to remember point one. Affliction is to be expected. We don't do, you know, everything. This is what our mindset is sometimes. We do everything right as a Christian, and nothing is supposed to go wrong. When basically all of Scripture and all of church history tells us kind of otherwise. If you do everything and endeavor to, to strive after Christ and live the life you're supposed to be living, the chances are it's going to be a very difficult road. But it's also going to be completely paved with the grace, with the provision, with the protection, with the blessings of God. So our first point this morning is actually, again, the third point from last week. I want to pick up there. Affection for others is a product, and it encourages sincere faith. We talked about affliction. We talked about the affirmation of our faith, right? And now we look at affection for each other. It's not only a product of sincere faith, affection for one another. It's not only a product of sincere faith, but it also encourages sincere faith when we live affectionately and the right kind of love for one another then it encourages other people to live in sincere faith verse 11 of first thessalonians chapter 3 now may our god and father himself and jesus our lord direct our way to you and may the lord cause you to increase and abound in love did you hear what he said may the lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another and for all people just as we also do for you. Now, is Paul boasting that their love was increasing and he was charging the church to increase in their love? He wasn't boasting. He was just telling them, our love for you is growing and your love for one another and your love for others needs to grow. It needs to keep growing. He says this, verse 13, so that he may establish your hearts without blame so, so blamelessness and holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Again, Paul's affection for them and their affection for him gave confidence that they would meet again. Why? So that more growth w- would result through the lives of the Thessalonian church. That's what, his, that's what his, his desire was. Man, we love you guys. We want to get back together with you so that we can encourage you. You can continue to encourage us. And more people will be reached with the gospel from this love and unity. Again, their prayer was that the love for one another would increase. And, and that's, again, it's the same manner Paul said that their love for them uh, was, 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 was occurring. It was increasing. But what was the purpose of that? What was the purpose of our love for one another? What was the purpose of Paul's love for them and their love for Paul? What was the purpose of it to increase or grow? Again, he said that their hearts would be even more established in holiness and blamelessness and enabled, therefore, in a life of holiness and blamelessness to be found in, a con- in that condition at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ with all, this, all, all the saints. 
So again, notice the formula here. You love one another, you continue to grow in your love for one another. And the more you continue to grow for one another, it, 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 it fosters a greater faith, it, it, a more sincere faith that produces holiness. A, a, a faith that you want to live for the Lord even more and more every day. When, when you're in, the, in a group that you know loves you, and, and you love that group sincerely, and you're a part of that family, it fosters sincerity. It fo- real love fosters real faith. And that faith, again, produces this holiness in our life. And that's encouraging to other believers. Now, put this on the screen, I believe. The more you show up and sincerely engage your faith family, the more you will be encouraged and encourage others in their faith. So you being here, as we talked about, is encouraging to everyone sitting in this room. You say, I don't, nobody's ever told me that I was encouraging them because I was just here at church. I'm telling you, it's an encouragement that you're here, and we talked about this a little bit last week. I used the example, what if you showed up and you were the only one in this room? The natural question would be, where is everybody? Right? Whenever there's like this, sometimes the, these things happen, right? Where several people are sick, several people are out of town, several, the, it just all happens sometimes randomly on the same Sunday. This emergency came up, these people got, kids woke up sick, woke up with a fever, and, and, and all of a sudden, what this room is, you know, maybe 50% full or so, is like 30% full. And the thought is, where is everybody? Right? And, and again, it goes back to when you show up and, and not just show up and sit there like, mm, but show up and sincerely engage. Worship when the worship team is, is, is leading. Sing, clap and praise God. Listen, take notes, engage. After the service, engage one another, encourage one another. So I'll put this in your notes. Show up, engage, and encourage. It's so important that we understand what was going on there in, in that Thessalonian church to help us grab these points. I shared that story in the beginning because the obvious reality is that the church becomes unified under persecution. But please hear me. Historically, the church is unified under persecution but divided under prosperity. Historically, the church is unified under persecution and divided under prosperity. And it's a cycle of nations, right? I've used that before. I've shared that before. Some of you know that what that is. There's a cycle that nations go on, but I believe that's a cycle even in the people of God. You can, you can see that in Scripture. So if that's been the story of the church's history, it seems that it would be wise to do what we see in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3, where it says being diligent or giving every effort to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. We've got to actually try to do this. We've got to actually do what Paul was telling Thessalonians to do. You've got to show up, you've got to love one another, and you've got to increase your love of one another so that your unity and your, and your faith is increased. The church has found a deeper affection for the Lord and each other when they're suffering. Not only for the Lord and his church, but also for the lost. Did that register? The, the, the church historically has always found a deeper affection for the Lord, for one another, and for the lost 
when they're suffering for their faith. And I'm not trying to like say like I'm ready for America to uh, the American church to suffer for our faith. I'm not saying that. I don't think that any Christian throughout all of history is like, oh yes, I get to be tied to the stake and burned alive. I don't think that any Christian was thinking when Nero was chopping people's heads off and putting them on poles on top of uh, on top of poles, lighting the streets of Rome and then lighting them to light the streets of Rome. I don't think any Christian was like, well, I hope my head gets chopped off. Right, we say that in, in, in a light way, but, but what happened from that persecution and all the subsequent persecutions was that the church, found, their, their, their affection for the Lord, for one another, and the loss was, was increased. The church seemed to have grown amidst great persecution all throughout church history. Which seems counterintuitive in one way, right? It seems like, well, man... But at, on the other side, it seems like it makes sense. On one hand, it's counterintuitive. On one, t- on one hand, it makes sense. You say, what are you talking about? Well, if we're suffering, we need the Lord and we need each other more and more, right? That's, that's the part that makes sense, right? If we're suffering for our faith, it's kind of like a team, kind of like an army. We're being attacked. Man, we need each other and we need our Lord. We need our God. Right? On, on one side, it makes sense that, that the church's affection for God and each other and for the lost would grow amidst persecution. Oh, yeah, that does make sense. But on the other hand, it's counterintuitive because if we're not suffering, it seems that we we should be so thankful that God has not taken us through the suffering for our faith. It seems as if as, as the blessings are so abundant for the church, specifically in our context here in America, doesn't know really what suffering is at our point in time, you would think, that if we're not suffering, we would be so thankful and that our affection for God in that thankfulness and our affection for one another would be so abundantly increasing, right? God is so good to us. Man, we, we love you, Lord. We love one another. God is protecting us. We don't know what persecution is. Our brothers and sisters around the world are experiencing it daily. They're suffering. In some areas of the world, persecution is increasing more than it ever has in all of church history. So you would think that us in America would be like, God, man, we we love you so much. You are so good. You are a good, good father. But again, it it seems like under prosperity, the church gets divided. We get so spoiled that we forget from whom all blessings flow. And I believe both are possible. It seems that we are unique when in our prosperity we become selfish little kids wanting our own way. It's not just us right now in 2023 that's like that. Case in point, not just the entire history of the children of Israel, right? Many of you know what happened there. But much of the church history follows the same exact pattern. The question obviously would be this. If this is not true, then why aren't we continually experiencing the great awakenings that have happened in America? Right? If, if, if under prosperity, the church still thrives and grows, then why isn't in our great prosperity this amazing, these amazing revivals happening? And I'm not saying there's not pockets. There are no doubt pockets and seasons that revival happens around the world. But what's interesting 
is some of the greatest revival moments and movements that have happened and are happening are where the church has been persecuted and even right now as we speak there are revivals around the world great revivals and you know where those great revivals are happening where the church is being persecuted isn't that interesting I want to move into the fourth chapter this morning because this chapter is going to continue on with the same encouragement and admonition for the church in light of the end. And we get like this, at the end of chapter four, we're going to actually get this real shift to the end where a lot of us know the famous verse in chapter 13, right? Where he says, the Lord himself will descend. You know, I, want you, I don't want you to be ignorant. But I, I want to jump into verse one. Finally then, brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us instruction as to how you ought to walk and please God, just as you actually do walk, listen to this challenge, that you excel still more. Right, he already told them, you love each other, you love us, we love you, but what you need to do is you need to increase your love for one another, you need to increase your love for us, just as our love is increasing for you. Now he says, we're exhorting you, and we're, we're, we're petitioning you, that just as you received instruction from us as, you, as how you ought to walk and please the Lord, you're doing that right now, but you need to increase it. Number two in your notes, apathy in the faith is a predecessor to backsliding. Apathy in the faith is a predecessor to backsliding. And I, and I believe that, that prosperity is, is sometimes a predecessor to apathy. Most of the time it is. And again, in that cycle of nations, if you don't know what I'm talking about, you don't Google it now, you can Google it later. Again, I've used that in messages before. Uh, I believe when we were talking in, in that, that long study we did on returning to God, uh, I brought that up in the cycle of nations. And, and, the, and, and the, the precursor to apathy is prosperity. Right? Because whenever you feel like you've got everything you want and need, there's no desperation there. There's no, there's no pushing there. You're like, I'm good. And so that's what happens in our faith, and that's what Paul was trying to guard them against, was to just kind of be comfortable in their faith. Once they got past the persecution, or once they kind of got in a good place spiritually, he was telling them, don't just relax there. Keep pressing, keep pushing, keep, keep seeking to grow. Don't ever get comfortable in the faith. That's basically what he's saying. Why? Because Paul knew, just like it's been the story all throughout Israel's history and the church's history, is that when you get comfortable you're about to go down this path of backsliding. Again, I think there's many Christians in this room that we could testify, say, amen, I've been there. I've done that. I've got comfortable in my faith. And then I realized after weeks or months, sometimes in some people's cases, years, that I wasn't seeking God's face like I used to. That I wasn't desiring to worship him like I used to kind of just existed for a while everything seemed to be good our finances our our family our relationship our health job everything was kind of good and we're just kind of coasting we stopped pressing again we all no doubt go through seasons in our walk where we're more excited to live for christ than other seasons right i think that we could all testify to that too that that there's been seasons in your life that you're like man i am so excited 
I, I, I love reading my Bible. I love coming to church. I love singing with God's people. I love praying. Man, my prayer life has been reinvigorated. Again, I think that we all have experienced those seasons in our, in our walk with Christ. But please hear me. There's a danger in allowing emotions, as we've seen, to be the barometer of our spiritual walk, right? Because we can have those moments and those seasons where everything is awesome in our walk with God, and then we can become completely dependent on those emotions versus walking by faith. And to allow our emotions to be the determining factor of our engagement with Christ and his people is a grave danger. Now, I'm excited about going to church. What happens when you're not excited? Man, I'm excited to sing this song. I'm excited to read that. I can't wait to talk to my, my coworker about Christ. I can't wait to do this. What happens when you're not excited? Are you still going to do it? See, that's what Paul was saying. Paul was saying, look, you need to increase. You need to, you need to keep pressing. Don't ever get comfortable. Don't ever relax. You're doing it. You're living right now, but you need to excel in it. Again, our affection for one another is evidence of sincere faith. Love one another. Jesus said, by this, all men will know that you're my disciples. Our affection for one another encourages sincere faith, sincere faith. But we must bear in mind that our affections and our feelings, our emotions, can change. Right? That even happens in our, in our, in our homes. Right? There are times that things happen in our home, and we say things like, in our, maybe not out loud, hopefully, <laughs> that, that we, 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 we love them. But they're making it hard on us, you know. <laughs> Your kids, I love my kid, but making it hard, whatever, or my spouse, or, or, or this person, or that person. And, and that can happen in the church, right? I mean, in a moment, just one circumstance, your, your feelings for a fellow church member can change in a moment. In an instance, one thing. They do something, say something, don't do something, don't say something. Your kids are involved, whatever, grandkids are involved. And all of a sudden, the, the fluffy, flowery feeling that you had for, for everybody in the church has now turned a little darker. Again, feelings can change, and they're often connected to our circumstances. So what is to govern? That's what Paul was addressing. Right? Your love for one another should be increasing, but... Faith is to govern. Romans chapter 10, verse 17, faith comes from hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. If you start getting apathetic and start backsliding, you're out of God's word, you're not fellowshiping with his people, then your faith is not going to grow. I don't care how much you say, I'm in my Bible every day. If you are neglecting the, the, the church of God, it's not going to grow the way God intended for it to grow. If you're showing up for church on a Sunday and not reading the word of God every day, I don't care how much you worship in this service and how many notes you take in the message. If you're not walking with him daily, your faith will not grow the way God wants it to grow. It's a combination of everything. That's what Paul was saying. Look, you've got to press. And the second thing I would say that, that helps this is discipline. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, But I discipline my body, and I make it my slave, so that after I've preached to others, I will not... Be disqualified. I myself will not be disqualified. Paul was saying, look, I, I got to make sure and keep myself in check. I got to keep myself going. Why? Because I don't, I, I don't want to preach something I'm not living. I mean, why are we looking at this? Again, he said that you excel still more and more. There's an expectation from God, and there's a charge here to increase, not to decrease. Increase our walk and manner of life in pleasing God. Why? Because every single one of us, myself included, every single person in this room 
we can become complacent. And then we can get comfortable. And what happens when we get comfortable? We stop being intentional. That's what happens, right? So what happens if, if um, there's a, a problem in our relationship with one another? The Holy Spirit gets a hold of our heart. And we know we're supposed to reconcile with our brother and sister in Christ. What do we do? We have to get real intentional. Same thing in your home. Same, there, there are things in our life. What, what, what if you go to the doctor and the doctor says, look, you got high blood pressure, high cholesterol, you're overweight, you got a heart problem, you got to change your diet or something's going to go wrong. Like you can either keep going down that road or you can get intentional or determined right you say okay look i've got to start making a change i've got to start doing this we get complacent we get comfortable we stop being intentional we stop daily walking and keeping our bodies in subjection again that leads to apathy and apathy means a lack of interest a lack of enthusiasm and concern when your way of life isn't set on pursuing christ that's fertile ground for apathy to sprout up. When you then lose interest or concern for the things of God, when the things of God are not the things that are most exciting to you, you're not only not growing, but again, I would say that you're going the opposite way, and that's what Paul is trying to tell them. You've got to increase, because if you're not increasing, you're going the wrong way. Think of it like that. If you're not increasing, you're decreasing. So no, you can just stay level. No, 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 no. Not when growth is expect, expected of God. Again, Paul's charge by the Holy Spirit was they would continue to walk in a way that was pleasing to God, but increasing that more and more and more. Some might say this. Well, it, it seems like that they would, they would never be striving to please God enough. And, and, and please hear me on this. There have been people that have said that uh, about me when I preach it. Yeah, but it just seems like the, it's, it's never good enough. Listen, that's exactly right for all of us. Like, we are never to get to a place where we're like, I think I'm good. <laughs> I don't think I need to preach to Christ anymore. I mean, I've been a Christian for 40 years. I've been a Christian for 50 years. Seems like good. I mean, everybody I look around is weaker in the faith than me. Whoa. <laughs> right? I mean, that... It's kind of a, a, a prideful path to be on to say, I think as a Christian who's been saved only by the grace of God, who has no righteousness in myself at all, who is completely dependent on God, who it's only by his mercy and grace, all of those things that I have to every day keep my body into, I have to press toward the mark. I have to continue to grow. Why? Because I am never going to be who I'm supposed to be as long as I'm limited with this fleshly body. So it's a daily pressing, a daily pursuit, never getting comfortable. Paul was trying to encourage them. Paul, you're always preaching. You're always saying that basically we're never good enough. We're, ne we're never righteous. And we're never loving enough. And I think Paul's answer would be like, right, neither am I. He said that. I've not apprehended. I've not attained. I've not, I've not made it. But I pressed toward the mark. In light of the great grace and mercy, again, the love he's given, not, not that we can pay him back, but from sincere love and faith, we press to him. And we should more and more every day until he returns or calls us home. 
I'm going to try to finish this up real quick. After this charge to increase this life and not allow apathy to set in, his charge is a reminder of what it looks like. In case anyone was tempted to come up with their own interpretation of what it meant to live a lifestyle that was pleasing to God and increase that, he says this in verse 2. For you know what commandments we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. That is, that you abstain from sexual immorality. Let each one of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion, like the Gentiles who do not know God, and that no man transgress or defraud his brother in the matter, because the Lord is the avenger of all these things, just as we also told you before and solemnly warned you, for God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification. It's very clear throughout Scripture that sexual impurity has always been a factor in man's struggle to live a life pleasing to God. It's clear that our consecration to Christ, that our sanctification, our holiness, is also God's will. So it's always been a struggle, and this has always been a part of God's will. Sexual immorality, holiness, and sanctification. 1 Peter chapter 1, you should be holy for I'm holy. Oftentimes, Though there's this defeatist mentality taken by Christians in the struggle with sin. Right? I'm, I'm just going to struggle with this because that's who I am. And in this mindset, not only there's a concession to sinning that's produced, but it seemingly, in modern times, is exalted. Which, again, is so disheartening as a Christian. Whenever you have people who profess to be Christians who not only are struggling with sin or struggling with sin, but seemingly now have embraced sin again and are exalting the fact that they are struggling with sin. Right? That's what's going on. There seems to be, in, in some areas, a boast, among Christians, a boasting of their struggle with sin. I think that we should be on. I think that we should be sincere. and trans- Yeah, this is a reality. But I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about an exaltation of it. So what exactly does that mean? Again, sometimes people get that mindset because we all struggle with sin, and we all struggle with sin. We say things like this. Well, we all sin. Which is true. But from the place that it comes from, oftentimes it's not a way of remorse. Instead, again, it's embracing and boasting. Oh, that's not a big deal. We all sin. It doesn't come from a place of remorse, of saying, yeah, man, we all struggle with sin. See the difference? Like, oh, yeah, we all sin. We all sin, yeah, I understand. Versus, yeah, we all sin. Uh, Kind of an embracing and boasting versus a, a contrition and sorrow. Positive spin versus a negative sin. Paul admonished them, we aren't supposed to be living in submission to lustful passions like the lost do, but we are to be living in pursuit of holiness. That's why it was never enough for Paul, and that's why it should never be enough for a preacher. That's why it should never be enough for a Christian for us to say, I think I'm holy enough. Verse 7, he says, God has called us to holiness, to sanctification, not to impurity. And then the further admonition to embrace the word of God in verse 8. So he who rejects this is not rejecting man, but the God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. 
And so often people don't like it when the preacher or the, the teacher preaches on living sold out or pursuing Christ or pursuing holiness above all. And they sometimes chalk it up to a zealous pastor. But Paul said, no, 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 no. This is God's will. And if someone rejects this teaching, they're not rejecting, rejecting the man, rejecting what God has said. The one they say they serve. And then finally, in perpetuation of that first point, the basis of our living lives like this, he finishes this section like this in verse 9. Now as the love of the brethren, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. Again, you're, you're loving each other. You're doing a good job of that. For indeed you do practice it toward all the brethren who are in all Macedonia. Listen to what he says. But we urge you, brethren, to excel still more. There it is again. Man, you're living your life for the Lord, but you need to increase. You're loving one another, and it's awesome, but you need to increase. And to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life and attend to your own business and work with your own hands, just as we commanded you, so that you will behave properly toward outsiders and not be in any need. Number three is this. Agape and phileo love should increase in our lives. Agape and phileo love should increase in our lives. Again, this charge wasn't that they weren't loving each other. The charge was that they should increase in their love for one another. Some contend that this charge was to become more persistent or more consistent in their love. In their Philadelphia, which is brotherly love. and their agapeo, their godly love. I've shared this even recently. Agape speaks to the most powerful and noblest of loves. It's sacrificial love. Phileo love refers to brotherly love. What does that look like? Phileo love is, is most of the time exhibited in a close friendship. Best friends. Friends will display brotherly love in generous and affectionate ways for each other. Since phileo love involves feelings of warmth and affection towards each other, we don't have phileo love towards our enemies. However, God commands us to have agape love toward our enemies. I don't want to go hug somebody that's trying to do wrong and evil, right? That's not, that's not the feeling we have, but we can love our enemies because God has commanded us to. Some people are critical, again, of pastors who are preaching and constantly urging the body of Christ like this. Keep pushing Never settle, relax. Never be content with your spiritual growth of your love. But that's exactly what Jesus did. It's what Paul was doing. He said, I don't need to write anything about you loving each other and the broader church family. You're doing a good job. But what I do need to tell you is that you need to keep growing in your love. Don't just be content with where you're at. Again, some people who view it wrong may say, well, Paul, again, it, you know, you, you, you can just kind of sometimes tune Paul out because he's going to tell you that you're never good enough. I think Paul admitted that himself, about himself. None of us are. Again, he finishes verse 11 and 12 with his personal responsibility in this life. He was saying, don't cause drama. So he was saying, don't cause drama. Take care of your family and your responsibilities. Carry your own load. Don't live your life in a way that you're relying on other people to carry you. Don't freeload. And again, he's going to address this later in the other letter. Don't freeload. This is important for Christians. Why is this important? 
Because this is Jesus' example. As I close, Matthew 20, 28. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Why do we live our lives on this earth not living off of other people, not freeloading, not looking for handouts, not, not looking what the church can do for me, not, not looking what the government can do for me. Now, why do we live that way? Why? Because we're ambassadors of the kingdom of God. And the example that Jesus set for us is that he came to serve, not to be served. That he came and he lived and he, he, he led his life in that way. And that's our example. Why? Because we are to live our lives to be a blessing to others. That's how our lives should look. Again, sometimes we, we even as Christians, get in this mindset of, of consumer Christianity, and we're looking about what the church can do for us, what other people can do for us, how they can be a blessing to us, and that's reverse of what Jesus told us to live our lives like. He, we, we're supposed to lay down our lives for our We're, we're to, to be a blessing to others. Uh, it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. I mean, all these lessons, our, lessons, our life is supposed to be lived for others and honor preferring one another. So this morning, I, I want to encourage you with these, these points. Let's apply these points. That was their charges to the, the Thessalonian church that still resonates in 2023 with the church in America. Let's not settle. Let's increase our holiness. Let's, let's continue to increase our pursuit of Christ. Let's increase our love for one another. And I want to encourage you today. You say, man, I, I don't know. I'm having a hard time. Come to this altar. Tell the Lord. He already knows it. He said, God, I'm going to have a hard time with this sin. I'm wrestling with this, this temptation. God, I'm, I'm struggling with, with loving the church the way I'm supposed to. I'm struggling with loving the lost. I'm struggling with, with, with loving you. And we should increase in that. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for what you do in our lives. Thank you for what you've done at Trinity Baptist Temple and what you're doing. Excited about what's happening here. Excited about what the future holds. God, there are so many things to celebrate. So many lives that have been changed and, and, and transformed. Uh, kids have been raised. Families have been restored. So many things that you've done through the, the people of Trinity Baptist Temple. Um, again, it's all by your power, it's your word, it's your spirit, it's all you, but you've used the people here in amazing ways and you're still doing that. And God, we give you the glory for it all, we want to praise you for it all. And I pray that you would help us now as we respond to your word, uh, that we would respond in a way that's honoring to you, in Jesus' name, amen. If you'll stand, as he sings, I want to invite you to come.